Okay. Check it, check. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Yep. <clears throat> okay. Are we yeah. hot? We're live? Yeah, you are hot, actually. Here we go. Impressive. Uh, welcome to Jeremy's Iron. Thank you. Welcome to Jeremy's Iron. It's uh, a weekly yarn about research science and magic cards. With me, Justin TIE Fighter. And me, Justin X-Wing. I'm glad we have someone who can join us in our anagram game. We take proper names and rearrange the letters to form a description of that person. Like, uh, Alec Innes. So glad you mentioned magic cards. Yeah, I'm still so excited about learning how to play that. <laughs> you, you did, you did it, mention this a, a few weeks ago. You yeah. were like, "We should get into magic," yeah. and I, every part of me lit up, dude. I've never done it, and in fact, that's what we're going to do this afternoon after this podcast. I've only been open to the idea for like the last three weeks. Yeah, my I've been in total twenty something years of shut down to the idea, not even able to approach the concept that I might play magic cards. <laughs> okay, look, I can see us launching into this pretty hardcore oh, right now. We're, we're, but before we do, let's just heads up, what are we doing in this episode? We're gonna have a look at the the life and times. Well life and time. Life and time and statistical <laughs> contribution of one Florence Nightingale. Yes. So Flojo. Uh, Flo well they they refer to her Flo as Flo in this Flo um, in this documentary that I... I watched a documentary for this, by the way. A this full is, doco? Yeah, full hour. Netflix? No, it was just on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. Good? Flow. Yeah, it was pretty good. Inter interesting. We'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so, yeah, stick around. We're going to do that um, in the second half of the show. She's well regarded as, of course, uh, one of the founders of nursing generally. But yep. uh, one of her... Well, I guess... I'm not sure if it's lesser known, but uh, certainly she's less regarded as a pioneer for status for statistics and we're going to investigate that yeah so well. she kind of bridges both of our uh, our specialties right yeah me as a nurse yeah <laughs> <laughs> a male nurse and me as a statistician allegedly um, i was going to say you as a woman yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh so magic cards hit me well i mean there's not much to say other than in high school i was i think i was in probably grade seven or grade eight when they came out I think it's like 94, 95 is when they were like launched. Yeah. And it's pretty rare for a new card game to come out of the blue, right? And just be totally invented from thin air. Mm. And I didn't know anything about it other than that it was played by total, what I thought were total spazzes. Yeah, totally. Uh, and not that I wasn't a spaz, but for some reason I was just not of that. You were a different class of spaz. I yeah. wasn't that flavor of spaz that I was yeah. going to sit around. I'm not a fantasy dude, okay? Yeah. Um, but then I had no idea until I heard a few podcasts that it's still like really, really strong. Hasn't gone away. It's maybe even stronger than it was 25 years ago. Mm. It's killing it. And apparently, it's an awesome game. Well, uh, uh, you were saying before this off-air that it was yeah. made by... Um, I think a statistician, like a Stanford... Yeah, some, some serious mathematical heavies yeah. put this together. Yeah. And, and, so the, they, and, the, and the gaming behind, I guess, well, the structural gaming to, to make this whole uh, thing is, is pretty cool. Mm. And it's really neat. And how they've kept it going for all this time is, uh, is, is pretty interesting. So, I'm... 
we'll, have, we'll have to do an proof, update. I'm ready to play. We'll do an update next week when we once we've had a few uh, few games. We play a few hands. The following episode. Uh. <laughs> and if we have any listeners that are into magic or have been in the past, get in touch. Jeremy's Iron Podcast at gmail. Any tips? If someone wants to trade a black lotus, <laughs> I'm, I'm down. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm really excited just to like, I don't know, to get into something new, something kind of epic, you know, card game we're gonna have like these stacks and stacks of cards yeah. <laughs> we're gonna play it about three times and then forget about it this is gonna be great yeah yeah that's all i want out of it now what we tend to do in this podcast is yeah. at the beginning we, we have a, a quick little uh check-in on some grievances mm-hmm. social or otherwise or yeah otherwise medical yeah. whatever grammatical um you want to start just quickly we'll, do, we'll try we'll try to keep okay. these brief but so uh, for some reason i don't i don't nitpick grammar or verbiage like in my day-to-day life but i feel as though whenever we're here i've got something that's kind of been just on my mind a little bit and for some reason there's been a pattern of the last few weeks where i've been kind of picking apart idioms and and whatnot right so what's your what's your latest beef well the latest one i I won't call it a beef but it's a a point of a a buff my my new putty buff um the expression the most fun you can have with your clothes on You've heard it? I've <laughs> yeah, heard it, right? Course, yeah. So that implies that, well, I think we were both adults, that sex is the most fun you can have. Full stop. Full stop, right? Yeah. And that happens to be with your clothes off. Yeah. Um, my question is, is there something more fun <laughs> than sex with your clothes off? <laughs> with your clothes off or with your clothes on? Um, oh, as in like, is it referring to something else other than sex? That's your question. Could it be? Could it be? Could it be? All right. What about slip and slide? You don't do that. That's with your exactly show. what I was thinking. No, you weren't. I was. Slip- <laughs> or like a water park. We need okay, more okay, friends. Like- <laughs> I think. Jesus Christ. Yeah, a nude water park, like going down the slippery dip <laughs> with no pants. <laughs> Maybe more fun than sex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm saying that. Um, there must be something. Getting a skin check. <laughs> skydiving, nude. Nude skydiving. For some people, that would be a hell of a lot of fun. That's a lot of. There's appendages flapping in the wind in that situation. Uh, it's maybe not the safest yeah. thing you can do with your clothes <laughs> off. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm questioning the very foundation of that expression. Jelly wrestling. Again, I feel that's not a clothed, a clothed thing. But I don't feel like I'd, I'd have fun doing that. Well, this is you, for example. But yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just throwing out shirtless activities, essentially. Mm. No, it's good. It's a good question. Good question. Yeah. So. Listeners, uh, I want you guys to stew on that <laughs> and write in what you guys think the most fun you can actually have with your clothes off is. Uh, all right, I've got one for you. Ready for this? Mm-hmm. Like puns, obviously, everyone's everyone's doing them. Yeah, and I told you a couple of days ago that I'm over them. Well, this is kind over of along them. the same they're, lines. They're, they're gone. I, look, I'm not over them. I like a good pun, but I like a good pun. Like mm-hmm. I'm over just run-of-the-mill puns, rhymes. especially for things. Well, things that, not so much even rhymes, but stuff that's just really straightforward and obvious. Yeah. Here's an example. Do you know what Hanson's latest album is called? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> let, let, me give you, let me give you a hint. Um, they are doing it with an orchestra. So there's a whole orchestra behind them playing all of Hanson's of Mbop fame, all of their um, tunes. So you can come up with what you think the name of this album is going to be. Well, first, I oh, don't worry. I'll cut out all of the wait, all, all of the space that we have here. All sure, of the, like, that's fine. But I'm, first, I'm thinking of is the Metallica Symphony, right? S and M, which is actually I not think, bad. I think it's pretty good. I, I like think that. It's pretty cool, right? Yeah. It it definitely like that is the flavor of the band. And well, I was going to bring that up as potentially a uh, 
you know, the other side of having a good pun for some of these situations. Mm, but yeah. Symphony that, of Metallica, beautiful thing S&M. I think of. Yeah, it's great. Ah, uh, handsome. Uh, so you're dealing with the whole orchestra. It's like the most... It's tough. It's tough for you to get it. Okay. And what is it? String theory. <laughs> it's so bad, isn't it? Dude. Isn't it? Isn't yeah. it just like... Oh, yeah. Like the, the first thing that you would think of... You, you can see the, the actual... The process of them thinking of what to call their album. Well, we're using strings. But thing is, an orchestra is so much more than strings. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's really not even... It's so superficially clever, right? Yeah. That... It actually disregards way more than it actually includes. Yeah. Nah. Yeah, that's right. No. So I'm, I'm over also it, like string theory is something. There's so many different like mm. bands have used theory in album titles, um, and I think by and large they're terrible. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Of, I didn't. Um, I feel like what's that band? Chester. The guy that killed himself a few months ago. Linkin Park. Right. They had something like a, a something theory album, I think. Terrible. Awful. Yeah. String theory. And th- I'm pretty sure string theory is Hybrid theory? Hybrid theory. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. Was that them? That was Linkin Park, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Hybrid theory. Hate it. Hate it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, see, I, I, there, I also um, have now brought up a, uh, a little page in a book that we once put together called uh. The Atunga Diary. Yeah. Um, now, this is a, a bunch of uh, restaurants... Theoretical restaurants we came up with mm-hmm. that had good pun names. Yeah, um, the, the that originated with one that I don't know if we are we going to say that one on air. Yeah, probably not. No, there's no. one that's definitely <laughs> definitely we're going to. I don't know. Probably going to keep to ourselves. Yeah, there's a few things from that diary um, that we're not going to share. In Sydney, there was a whole a whole period where there were Thai restaurants yeah. that were naming like tie me up, um, Titanic, Titanic, yeah. Hepatitis. I don't, I don't think that one. That one well, hepatitis B. Yeah. Um, but we actually made up a whole um, list of list of them. Uh huh. So yeah. we've got pigs tie. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. Mm-hmm. Um, pork a <laughs> question mark. Pork. <laughs> that was our That's Spanish terrible. restaurant. Yeah. That yeah, is yeah, terrible. That, no, that was good. Pork a. How about this one? This is this is for like a um, a hair hat situation. Hell to pay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Two paste or? Yeah, of course. Um, and now my favorite, uh, wanton destruction. That was was that Brad's? I don't know whose it was, but that that whoever came up with that genius. I think that was might have been Bradley Wong of the Copenhagen Consensus. That's possibly true. Um, Mikasa Tsukasa. I don't know. What yeah, that's about, so that's that was ch- mine. That's one I had for years. That's, that's a my Japanese bed and breakfast. Oh, but I'm getting some serious like um, Spanish language situation there too. Well, yeah, right? because so phonetically, Mikasa Tsukasa, my home is your home. Yeah, right. Um, and Airbnb is like you open your home up to people, right? But it was like a Japanese Air um, B&B. It's uh, the idea was that you spell it M I K A S A T S U K A S A. So it's got like I got very, it. Very Japanese sort of very script. Good. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a deep one. That's hard to explain. It's a tough one. But yeah. the, the, fi- the final one I might going to throw you away is yeah. uh, this. It's a takeout fish joint. Yeah, salmon rusty. Yeah, great. Come on, great. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So that's good. We, we've flaunted our uh, self-professed th- abilities with yeah. puns and and taken the piss out of. I also uh, think Hanson. All of these are better than String Theory. Oh, 100 percent. They could have called their album Sa- Salmon, they Rushdie. Salmon Rushdie. Awesome. Yeah. I would. I would have. would be like, dude, Hanson. Maybe they got something going. I'm gonna. Have you heard their new album, Sam, Salmon Rushdie? And it could be like a classic, like you know, um, Captain Beefheart, Trout Mask Replica, right? That was like the, the seminal Beefheart album. Right. Hanson could have their Salmon Rushdie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it could be really cool. 
Now, speaking of bands and music. All right, we'll keep this brief. Are you following? Yeah, we'll keep it brief. Are you following? <laughs> that's the, what I say each week. Yeah. Well, no, this is no, that's good. I haven't seen you in a couple of days. That's true. Have you been following the uh, the tour de force that is the new Queen biopic? Uh no. Being Rhapsody. I would like to see the movie though. Well, it's getting good, like popular reviews, and it's now it's. It, I think it won the Golden Globe for best movie. Yeah, I think I, I have have it on good authority from an immense Queen fan who's one of my good yeah. mates that the they do a section of the the huge Wembley Stadium yeah. concert and it's almost like perfect the way that the guy does it and now I've been hearing for a few months now how great it is everyone's like I love Queen this this is great if you love Queen this movie's incredible he's so much like Freddie Mercury two things one I heard a review which I thought was really interesting and someone said when you have these like imitation biopics where it's all about like um impersonation rather than impression like the guy looks like freddie mercury he's doing a great freddie mercury impression they're like what's the difference between that and like a long form sketch like it's really just right yeah, yeah. like it's like an snl sketch at one point right yeah, where it's yeah. all about how much you make someone look like someone not really acting it's like you, you're not you're not assessing the the goodness of the picture you're just trying to assess the the simulation right like how much the simulacrum yeah right? you know and like I don't, yeah, interesting for an exercise, but it doesn't need to be a two-hour exercise, right? It can be a five-minute vignette. Right. Anyway, but more importantly, I won't see it for one reason. Because many years ago, you and I, on a trip to Melbourne, made a list of things that we thought we were just done with. Mm-hmm. Things that were done, or summer, things we're done with. Summer 69. Summer 69, yeah, big one. Um, we had the Bon Jovi song in there as well, I believe, which was... Uh, which Bon Jovi song do we have? Oh, uh, "Living on a Prayer." Living on a Prayer. No done. need to be. That's no need. Don't I don't need, know. Don't listen to, to that it ever the rest again. of my life. Yep. It was a great song, but I'm done. I think he's touring, by the way. We should go see that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Queen. I'm pretty sure Queen was on the list. Crazy little thing called love. No, just Queen. Queen, really? Just yeah, done okay. with Queen. I feel like we're going to lose lose supporters of this well, podcast with that I statement. I think so, but I'm sticking to it. I'm done. I'm this movie and all the fanfare doesn't yep. get me any more excited. I'm still just totally over Queen. I, I'm over those songs. I feel like there should be a mashup band, Queen of the Stone Age. That's pretty good. I'd like to see that. Josh Homme and his and his cronies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, she probably do a tour <laughs> as Queen of the Stone Age and kind of capitalize off of the fame of the movie, right? Yeah. Or they should have done the whole soundtrack? Mm, the score? Not bad. They could have done it. Uh, that's that's really there, interesting. Right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, man, I'm, I'm putting my money where, where my mouth is, right? Hey. Five, six years ago, maybe more, seven years ago, I said I'm down the Queen. I'm done. We don't fence it here on Jeremy's Iron. Nope. Queen, we're done. But we do talk about science and research, which we're about to do after this break. We're going to do a uh, our own Jeremy Zion take on the life and time of Florence Nightingale. Mm-hmm. Now, before we start, like, do, do you know much about Florence Nightingale? So little. Yeah. What I know is nurses often, like, in the hospital, referencing Florence Nightingale, like, usually, like, as a joke, sort of how they pale in comparison to, to Florence, Florence Nightingale, or, or how yeah. like nursing standards today 
pale in comparison to or ain't what they used to be no yeah. or whatever you know um and all i really know is that yeah she was like a pioneer nurse mm. and that she was largely responsible for turning patients over in bed who are immobile so they don't get pressure sores okay that was pretty much what i knew about her that she was very attentive and that she was a pioneer of this kind of bed sore management Pretty much it, man. Well, you're on you're on the right track with that, 100. Um, percent And we're going to find this week, kind of like when we did the um, vaccination mm-hmm. episode, a deep dive. That it's it's way more interesting and complex than just someone that figured out how to turn patients over and yeah. did a bunch of stuff for nursing and statistics and whatever. It's deep. And this character, Florence Nightingale, is actually really quite incredible in in terms of her not being. Stereotype in any way you might think. Of. Okay, so I was going to say you've obviously done way more reading and oh, documentary God. searching than I. Yeah, have. I've spent at least an hour and a half before. Incredible. Turning the microphone on. Well, I've done less than that, right? So I did a, a brief skim of her life. So I'll ask you. <laughs> yeah. Um, we do a lot of research for this podcast. We Don't forget. Deep. Yeah. We are we about evidence. Deep. Yeah. So the her fame, her her infamy. I mean, I'm, obviously, there's more out there than I know about her because I know mm-hmm. so little. But clearly, she's more important than just bed turning. 100%. She is. Um, has that been exaggerated by time? Or do you think that she's actually, is it fairly honest to, or an honest portrayal of her, of well, her history? I'll get into it. But th- but there's contradicting views as to whether indeed she was... Even a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. no. The, but her legacy, those... look, her legacy is not questioned because yeah. after she did her nursing, yeah. um, she I'll, I'll go through a bit of her biography in a sec. Yeah. But after she, she worked in the... Um, a hospital in the Crimean War yeah. um, with all of the injured English soldiers coming to this place in Constantinople. Yeah. Um, it's called the Scutari Hospital, right? Mm-hmm. And she was there for only about six to 12 months. Yeah. And then after that, she earned her fame and the contributions she made to the profession of nursing after the fact, right? Yeah. Um, but there's... And I think that's fairly, fairly unquestioned. Okay. Um, but her time in this hospital is up for, up for grabs in terms of whether she like was forced for good or not in that particular instance. And right. it's really quite interesting. And um, there are contradictory um, so the supporters and there are yeah. detractors. But there we'll is evidence that, after that of many, many things she's done, yeah. right? That are, oh, that yeah. are legit, right? Oh, so, totally. So, so, so like unquestionably, she's an incredibly, an incredible person that yeah. r- demands... Respect. Yeah. So re- you, don't, you didn't start like peeling back the onion skin no. and find that she was actually a llama. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> and it was like, you know, in... Detroit. <laughs> no, 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 no. She's, she's legit. Okay. So let me get into it. So right. she was born yeah. in Florence, hence her name. So she was yeah. named after the I saw that. It's pretty cool. Um, in 1820. Her friends called her Forense, not in there. Ooh, <laughs> her cultured friends. Yeah. Of which she had many because she was born into uh, the sort of social elite. Um, she was her, a rich bitch. She, she was, in not so many words. Um, her mother was a social elite and even from a, a young age, she sort of butted heads with her mother. And this is sort of a running theme throughout her life, actually. Um, she was very much overeducated in that era and um, was sort of blossoming into this world where female education was seen as neither particularly desirable. What year? So, well, she was born in 1820. So she was okay. around about sort of 15, 16 when she started. Well, she realized she wanted to be a nurse fairly early on. Yeah. Her parents got her to do some kind of um, philanthropic work with some of the surrounding neighborhoods and stuff and she yep. really thrived on that mm-hmm. and she wanted to be a nurse and so she told her parents I'm going to go and be a nurse of course her mother um, basically said no that's not not what a proper young 
upper class lady does. It's she not. searches. Still for, isn't. No, <laughs> she searches for a, um, you know, a, a suitor, a, a, suitor, a yeah. rich husband, and you become part of this social elite sure. or whatever, right? That's what yeah. you're meant to do. But she said, fuck that, basically. Um, in as many words, she said That's what she pretty said. much like that. That's, yeah. We have a record of that. Yeah. That was in her biography. That's surprisingly granular. Um, she wanted to be a nurse um, from, from that young, young age, but because she was kind of denied that by her parents, she didn't get to like, explore that for, for a decade, essentially, right? And she went into this period where she sort of detested the role that females were meant to play in society, and she went into a depression in her 20s and stuff, and she was this really kind of torn and, and brooding. Tortured. Tortured character, yeah, yeah very much. Um, was she like the female Che Guevara? In what sense? Because it wasn't Che like also very privileged, wealthy, was a doctor, medical doctor. So she comes from also a privileged, educated background, right? And couldn't stand sort of this bourgeoisie that he was surrounded by, right? And ended up and and also fighting for the people. And also celebrated in the contemporary day when she still has a sort of potential... You know, legacy that's contested, right? Yeah. Similar to Che Guevara. So, should we be walking around with Florence Nightingale t-shirts? <laughs> yeah, yeah, with <laughs> Do a you think, like, silhouette. Yeah, exactly, right? We should be like, dude, that's a great idea. Flo Nuff, Firenze Nightingale is the yeah. original Che Guevara. <laughs> She's the original freedom fighter. Flo Rida. Yeah. And maybe, um, maybe what's it called? Rage Against the Machine should actually rebrand as a Florence Nightingale-inspired <laughs> <laughs> band. Well, they definitely can't say Florence against the machine. That's, that's starting to get too too close. Oh, dude, that's anyway. getting, that's getting deep. All right, that's let's really not good. let's not get into those those depths. Um, interestingly, when she was she she said in her when she was writing later on that she didn't feel like a woman in a physical sense, and I think that was in a social socially she didn't feel like she wanted to go down the road of what was bestowed upon her in. In society, right? In womanhood. In in womanhood as it was in the mid-1800s. It would have sucked. That's right. Yeah. Um, And so basically she... she, There's this guy, Richard Monckton Milnes, who is this upper-class gentleman Mm -hmm. who is sort of um, courting her, ends up proposing to her nine times and she rebuffs him on all of those nine occasions. So cold. To her parents' chagrin. Yeah. Um, Was he he good-looking? Yeah, he was the archetypal gent from the 1850s. The, you know, she messed up. Well, she was just from a, as I said, from a very young age, she was destined to be this kind of defining figure of, you know, um, well, bucking whatever was defining, but also defiant. Yeah, de- defining defiance, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so she eventually flees and becomes a nurse. In Paris, um, but goes via Rome, where she comes into contact with Sidney Herbert, who is um, a correspondent at war during the time of the Crimean War. Mm-hmm. Now, um, he eventually becomes the Secretary of War and sends. She gets in. Well, I'm going to say gets into bed with him, but not in a lewd sense, just more a general sense. And um, he asks her to organise a corps of nurses to tend the sick and fallen soldiers in the Crimea because the Crimean War was going on at the time. In full swing, right? In full swing. Yeah. So she gets sent to Constantinople, modern day Istanbul, Mm -hmm. and there's a, um, uh, essentially a hospital, inverted commas, I'm doing that inverted commas thing with with my fingers. Air quotes. Air quotes. Um, And so she gets sent there 
And this is basically where she rises to her calling as a nurse, right? So she assembles a team of 34 nurses of various religious orders and sails with them to the Crimea. An elite team. An elite team. A nursing task force. That's right. Um, and she ended up running the Scutari Hospital. Yeah. And... Yeah, so basically this hospital is treating all the soldiers that have been in, injured, but she gets there and the place is disgusting. So there's... There's cholera, dysentery, vermin, patients without beds. There's like incredibly terrible sanitation and people are dying from frostbite and scurvy and pneumonia and, and suicide as well. So this place is literally the fucking pits yeah. as she arrives there, right? And um, this is where it actually gets interesting because this is where the, the reports of what she does kind of diverges and you get the very pro... Because it sounds like... It shouldn't diverge at all here. It sounds like there's only one course of action that she can take if she's going to become well-known for something, which yeah. is to clean that up, literally and figuratively. Well, we have how to put does it, it, how does it... How does that... How could it possibly diverge here? Well, it, it's about the context of where we are in the history of time. 1850. Was she going right? around, like, taking dumps in people's faces? <laughs> like, was it the exact no. opposite of what... No, no, no. She, she was very much like the soldier's nurse. So right. the, the soldiers loved her because she was by their bedside. She was known as the lady with the lamp. I saw that. And also I heard imagery. that she wasn't, uh, wasn't too hard on the eyes. No, she was quite a looker, apparently. Mm -hmm. um, so she would tend to all the soldiers um, and would spend hours by their bedside. So she literally cared immensely for these fallen soldiers, right? Mm. But the traditional line is, this is what you would see traditionally up until probably the 1980s 1990s yeah the general line about what florence nightingale was about was that she came in recognized the conditions of the hospital were squalid and then began cleaning the place up yeah. getting rid of the cesspit and the, that's the what hospital, i read, yeah all this kind of stuff requiring medical staff to wash their hands and do all this kind of stuff which was revolutionary at the time right yeah, that was so not a known thing let's not gloss over the hand washing thing 100%, right? This, this is that is the cornerstone of modern uh, sort of, what do we call it? Well, like sanitation. Yeah. In hospitals or with health, right? So we know that a lot of disease is totally preventable by by the spread, by preventing the spread of contagion through hand-to-hand -hand and hand-to-patient or doctor-to-patient contact. Yep. Um, but at the time, this was not... Well, so the guy, the guy that we credit as being... So I read this and... In my mind, I had no idea she was associated with hand hygiene. I did know that there was some dude that was, and he was, I think, an obstetrician, and he had noticed, you know, high infant and maternal mortality, and started washing his hands. I think in, in alcohol or something. The guy's name is Semmelweis, I believe. I, it could be him. He was Hungarian. He right? was Semmelweis, and just just quickly, a little little aside. Yeah. The uh, intro music that I put in between these two sections mm -hmm. is a song that I wrote. 10 years ago, called Semmelweis. No way. 100%. That's nice. Continue. Uh, yeah, so I had heard about him years ago as being the, the father of hand hygiene. Um, and that was only... So he was before her, but I mean, we're talking a couple of years, right? Hmm. To the point where it may have essentially been sort of like a parallel evolution of the idea because there's a good reasonable chance it hadn't spread significantly from Hungary to, to Crimea, to the Crimean front. Yeah. Right. So the, the idea contagion yeah. had not spread. Yeah. So we're talking the same time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so that's so huge. That's that's huge. But the there were two BBC documentaries that were released in the two thousands. I saw that. Which themselves have had criticisms 
thrown at them mm-hmm. by other scholars of Florence Nightingale and stuff. So it, it's hotly contested. Well, the BBC well, is trash. Not taking a stance here either way, but the, the fact that it's contested is quite interesting to mm-hmm. me. So what they basically said was they were quite critical of her time there, saying that she ruled the place with an iron fist, which sure. I think both camps would probably She sounds like a hard to. lady. Yeah, she was very much yeah. a, this is, you know, the results I want to see, I'm going to fucking get them and like try getting in my way. My way of the highway, right? pal. That's right. Um, get out. And so basically this these documentaries showed her as this incredibly kind woman to the soldiers but basically um stubbornly refusing to look into the sanitary conditions of the hospital itself like she thought it was to do with poor nutrition um lack of supplies Mm -hmm. stale air and overworking of the soldiers sure and she was always on um the the, on their case to try to get more supplies Mm -hmm. and um better food and all this kind of stuff right yeah they would throw cabbages out to sea because the paperwork wasn't sufficient and stuff like it was it was ridiculous right so she was trying to get all that happening right but the actual sanitation of the entire building she didn't consider right and it was only when she started sending a whole bunch of reports back to england yeah that the prime minister at the time palmerston and the health department whatever it was called then the health ministry or whatever decided that holy shit so many people are dying of a whole bunch of stuff unrelated to the war, not dying of their injuries, dying of secondary outbreaks of sure. cholera and whatever, yeah. that they decided to send a sanitary team there to clean the place up. Okay, because some reports say that she requested That's specifically right. the sanitary team and, and for support to help clean the whole place up and they created like a mobile hospital that they had like they assembled it in the UK hmm. broke it down and shipped it over to the to the front where it could be reassembled uh, like like an Ikea ward yeah with, right like Ikea hospital so long as they didn't lose the Allen key that's right yeah but you can see it. it's it's that those converging uh, diverging views that are yeah. it's part of the interesting that's a, part that's right? a like, pretty big divergence right yeah like that's the entire cornerstone was she the effector or was she the instigator and of this she, Interestingly enough, she never claimed credit for it. Uh-huh. So put that in your like, you know, matrix to figure out what went mm-hmm. on in the haze well, of time. If but nothing else, if she didn't initiate sort of the the solution, then at least she didn't take credit for it. And that's respectable as well. True. Then it's only anyone else kind of, you know, laying this upon her. But but she never refuted it either. But but what is probably unrefutable is even if she didn't recognize that that's the case yeah um she sent back an incredible amount of documentation of what was happening in the hospital right Mm -hmm. 850 page documents yeah on the condition on not not the conditions but the deaths she was calculating the statistics essentially yeah of what people were dying of Mm -hmm. putting them in like visible charts which we'll we'll look at she a pioneer of big data um, she would have been a pioneer of, of medium-sized data. <laughs> yeah. Medium back then it was just called medium, medium data. data. Yeah, <laughs> they knew it wasn't the biggest it could be, but they're, they're like, like, this is this is gonna, it's got some room to grow. But it's but it's a fair bit. Sizable data, it's more than we're yeah. used to. Yeah. So so she definitely deserves credit for developing the actual recording and statistics, statistical sort of um, systems that she then that then were acted upon to get. To fix the problems, essentially, sure. right? So, in an interesting way, even if you take that sort of, I guess we'll call it the anti-Florence approach, 
um, anti-flow anti-flow approach you still have to recognize that she did an incredible amount for documentation and mm-hmm. what we now call modern day health statistics right? i'm actually going to suggest that in light of that it's not that big a divergence um i think it's almost as impressive mm. just to have that data collection yeah it's, it's such a prescient thing to do right and I mean, now we talk about all the biggest companies are all about data collection, right? Everything, your app has to be fundamentally about data collection, right? Mm. Before it's even rendering a service. Like the, um, and so for her to have been that big into epidemiology and data collection at the time is just so crazy. Such a crazy idea. And that is the cornerstone of evidence, right? Mm. That's right. So that's pretty cool. And I think that's so impressive in its own right that it almost doesn't matter what it's about. It's just a really impressive behavior. And, and you have to also put it through the lens of the 1850s where of course, um, yeah. germ theory was still in its infancy. Like Lister and Pasteur were yeah. consu- conducting their experiments in the 1860s and this is 1854, right? We were so, just getting our head around evidence, period, right? That's right. Like yeah. in, in any field, in any capacity, the idea of really using the scientific method and collecting data and having evidence-based answers was still really in its infancy and was largely being ignored even in science and medicine. Yeah. So in any field for her to be doing that and appreciating the value of good documentation and data collection is, um, that's tremendous. Yeah. And in her later work, she actually, uh, she's panned essentially for denying the, what became germ theory. Yeah. Where germs can sort of. Um, Whose album is that, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Germ theory. Uh, I don't know. Um, but she was a proponent of um, contagion. So she knew that germs could go from, if, if I touched you and I was had some kind of disease, right? I, she figured out that I could clap. give that to you, right? Yeah. But she didn't appreciate that there could be airborne viruses mm-hmm. and it could be through sanitation and all this kind of stuff, what right? A dummy. Well, yeah. So basically she came back to a hero's welcome um, because every, she, she was this sort of, lady of the lamp, almost mystical figure, right? Yeah. Helping all of those fallen soldiers. She came back. Everyone was giving her this hero's welcome. Um, but during her time there, she contracted, she was got sick herself. Sure. What was called the Crimean fever, which might've been a litany of whoever knows what she was contracting there, right? And she became bedridden and was pretty much that way for the entirety of her life afterwards. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Really? So she was... Um in bed, right? Like an invalid for pretty much for decades. We're talking. So she was writing books and and kind of developing yeah. modern day nursing from, from her bed. bed oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Um, now the the anti Florence brigade here. So those yeah. BBC documentaries kind of suggest that once the facts were in, and she and they sanitized the hospital, and the numbers of deaths reduced down to like very very minimal. Right. Yeah. She almost went into hiding because she felt ashamed that she didn't actually figure this out for herself, right? So th- this is maybe a lot of conjecture, right? Mm-hmm. But part it and parcel of It does sound like conjecture, but we don't know, sure. No, 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 no. But um, interesting. an so interesting sort of sub-potential plot. When did she that. get back from the Crimean War? The the late 1950s, not sort of 1956, I think it was. Right. Oh, sorry, 1856, excuse me. Yeah, so, and she died in 1910. So we're, we're talking like 60 years of hiding? Yep. Well, no, no, no. 60 years of just not being a huge public... Figure, figure, which yeah. she was never going to be, given her upbringing and stuff. Yeah. She was always bucking that as well. But and even, but she was writing books. She started a nursing school after this. I think mm-hmm. I read that she trained the first American trained nurse. Yep, 
Yep, yep, yep. So she kind of introduced nursing to the rest of the world. Correct. So right? she wrote this book, Notes on Nursing, yeah. in 1959. So this is three or four years after she got back. Yeah. And this emphasized the importance of the hygiene practices that either she missed or that she put into action in the Scutari Hospital, right? Yeah, Whichever right. way you look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that she wrote in it. Uh, everyday sanitary knowledge or the knowledge of nursing, or in other words, of how to put the constitution in such a state that it will have no disease or that it can recover from disease, takes a higher place. It's recognized as the knowledge which everyone ought to have, distinct from medical knowledge, which only a professional can have. Makes sense. Yeah. So, so in that, she's kind of saying that it's all well and good to know how to be a surgeon, like a good self. Yeah. But in her experiences... There's more to it. Yeah. She well, could have done away with all of the surgery and actually just cleaned up the place and done yeah, a lot better well, for we, the patients. We talk right? all the time about having like the right host, right? You have to have a healthy host for surgery for whatever whatever you're going to do to try and fix someone from their actual problem. You've got to make sure they're in their best possible state to receive that, right? Mm. To heal, to do whatever else. Otherwise, there's no point. Um, but it's interesting. Like she's considered in that case because of this notes on nursing and yeah. a couple of other publications mm-hmm. after that as the, the founder of modern day nursing where it's it was never seen as a profession of any sure. note yeah and ironically it's almost and didn't now, have formal training i assume no 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 absolutely not hand no, up there, show were, up. there were women generally well probably always women of of an order of nuns or something yep. like that right there was yeah. always a religious mm. aspect of it sister we sisters right them sisters that's right yeah um but there was zero respect for it in any capacity and she developed this profession out of nursing right yeah which ironically is nowadays well, kind of going backwards. But even if she didn't come up with the ideas about sanitation, just putting in a book of hers a couple of years later, it's still so early in the game for that kind of conversation to be 1859. happening. 1859. Yeah, yeah, that's still really impressive that whether she came up with it herself or not, to for her to spread that and sort of propagandize these benefits is, is essentially the same thing. It's equally awesome, right? Mm. For her to be a, a, a mouthpiece for all that stuff is and kind of laying a structure to go forward with it, that still makes her the mother of, of modern nursing. Yeah. No matter whether she came up with it herself or just was, you know, spreading it. You can I, say all you want about yeah. how like, you know, the, the, the Beatles kind of might've been gazumped with a whole bunch of stuff afterwards, but yeah. like they did it first, man. Yeah. Without them, what would you have? Exactly. Yeah. So you know what? I'm totally in the Florence Nightingale camp. I don't think it matters. Yeah. That some of the subtle details about what she deduced herself or not, I'm not that impressed by yeah by the, by by that as being a problem no or detracted from her abilities or her fame okay cool her, it's interesting so, that so it, far I'm down when does this get juicy well it, we, it, it kind of already has in okay. a way but yeah. but there's 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 extra little pieces of juice around her um, contribution to feminism because yeah. again that's hotly contested she's seen as this very feminist figure right she, fuck what I, fuck what society is telling very me to do able I, yeah I yeah. want to learn about statistics and, and i read all at the same time she wasn't a strong proponent of actually advocating for women that's right she wasn't a big fan of women in the first place 100 percent. she has the like some really brutal lines yeah, um, she was I'll a dude's man, woman right here's something she wrote um can a woman not follow abstractions like a man oh no no that's that's not the one i was trying to think of let me see if i can find uh um uh, uh, uh. i've never found one woman who has altered her life by one iota for me or my opinions She's often referred. She often referred to herself in the masculine, for example, a man of action and a man of business, and she, throughout her professional life, 
um, never really had much respect for women. For women, yeah. Um, so yeah, the, the, there is this kind of contradicting thing. She resented the fact that she was essentially tried to. She was getting pushed into this sort of very, what was seen as feminine, yeah, lifestyle. But at the same time. So she was like the first male. She nurse. resented her mother. Well, that's right. <laughs> right. She she resented her mother and her sister, her elder sister, and as well. Yeah. Um, and so she's got this kind of contested legacy on that front as well. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Um, An enigma. She was decidedly anti the suffrage movement. So as the suffrage movement was gain, gaining steam at the end of the um, 1800s. Yeah. Um, she criticized women complaining about how there were no jobs available to them, saying there were plenty of secretary jobs available and stuff. And mm, look, th- that's less cool. Yeah. But at the same time, like you're putting someone who at that stage is an 80 year old woman. So in through yeah. the lens of 2018, fem- 2019's are, feminism, it's yeah. like, how progressive are any 80 year old people? That's yeah. In, in, in any context, right? They're not going to be pioneers for change. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly ones that were born in 1810, yeah, right? right? Yeah, or 1820. So she was, I mean, like she was empowering, she was, I guess, about personal empowerment, gender aside. That's right. right. Which is, do what you want, just do it. It's just fascinating well. that there's just two views on this as, as well. well like, but it, it's, well, it's I so... I prefer that, I, that, tortured that, that ethos as well, which is, it's not about gender. It's not about whatever. I mean, especially once. Look, it's different back then because there were actual real barriers and there are still today to some extent, but that doesn't undermine the power of just a, a personal autonomy, right? Which is fight for yourself, if nothing else. Oh, I'm not sure that really applies here, considering that she came She's from the aristocracy, right? Like, well, I don't know no, if but, she could, but, but, but she broke rank, though. That's true, but right? you can't break rank if you're a middling person in those societies, right? You've got no mm, rank to break. No, but... You're kind of confined to your, your lot. Sure. So I, th- I think she had the leverage to do it and respect yes. that she did it. That's fair, that's fair. But... I think but it's gen- still impressive. I mean, for the time, yeah. Regardless, you know, sure. And there's a really great um, from 1981. There's this um, from the University of Chicago Press. There's an article called Florence Nightingale's Feminist Complaint: mm-hmm. Women, Religion, and Suggestions for Thought, which was a paper that um, Florence Nightingale had written. Yeah. So this is a sort of response to that um, by the author Elaine Showalter. Oh yeah. Um, have a look at that. See if you can find that. Um, okay. If you're at university, yeah, you'll be able to log in and try to get it from one of the journals. Sure. But I think first time I tried it without logging in through uni, I could only get the abstract. So, okay. but it's it's a really interesting paper about her um, the, the legacy around feminism. Okay. But what I do want to talk about before we, we got to, we got to talk about the stats. I yes. want to talk about her. Um, this is where it gets juicy for you. Well, it gets interesting for me, yeah, for sure. There's a lot of people that made sort of improvements in medicine, right? Mm. Over over the years, but to find someone, a woman in particular, in 1850, contributing both to modern medicine and statistics, well, that's a woman who belongs on this podcast, right? I think it's a list of one, unfortunately. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um. So she used methods, uh, visual methods, like the pie chart. Advanced stuff. Well, invented in 1810, would you believe, the pie chart? <laughs> I like how that has to be invented. But uh, yeah, it does, there's, right? yeah there, there's so many things that you don't feel as though require invention, right? No. <laughs> like but it, pictures of things. Yeah, but at the same time, I think we don't appreciate how revolutionary that would have been to invent yeah. the pie chart, yeah. right? Like, 
up until that point, it was all tables. Okay, you could, they knew how to write things. You mm. know, to put put tally things up. Yeah, aggregate figures into a table. Sure. Fine. Yeah, visualizing things proportionately so that each wedge well, represents know, the, but you know, it the seems area. so obvious now that the visual representation of ideas and numbers, right? Mm. We have the, all these tricks up our sleeve for how to do it. And the pie chart is like the most rudimentary. I think we learn about pie charts before we learn about like bar charts, yeah. right? Like it's such a simple thing. Um, to me, it's like no different than the visual representation of like an elephant. If someone was like, so-and-so invented the picture of the elephant, not the elephant, mind you. Yeah. He invented the drawing of the elephant. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, well, that's not really an invention. That's just something that eventually someone did first, but was always existing in the ether. Well, let, let me do so that's this quite cool. Because it's through these charts yeah. that really that sanitation issue came to the fore, right? I kind of hinted at, hinted at this a little bit earlier, right? Mm -hmm. So she used these pie charts developed by William Playfair, apparently, in 1810. Um, but she twisted them to make them this thing called, a, what we now call them a polar area diagram. Yeah. Um, or a nightingale rose diagram mm -hmm. for some people that want to credit her in yeah. the naming of it. Uh -huh. um, I think she might have also called them a coxcomb, something like that. Yeah, I read that. Now, it's hard to describe this on, on air, but if you just type in polar area chart or even nightingale chart, you'll, you'll see it. But it's essentially, imagine a pie chart where some of the wedges are actually deeper than other ones, right? So they're sort of yeah. coming out, radiating from the center a lot. It's more sort of than like combining. It's like the the bastard child of a pie chart and a bar graph. Oh, that's a that's a really good description. Right? Yeah. So it's and like a bar graph that's that's radial. Yeah, and and it's not that different in that sense to you see those sort of um, scatters as well, right? You can see those sort of pie chart scatters. Yeah. With you have all those like you know kind of these specific frequencies in each of the. Kind of radiating from the center. Yeah, that's like a radial chart, like a radial Ra chart, radi like, like a radial histogram or something, or yeah, whatever something it is. Like but yeah, same idea, right? You're combining sort of the strengths of the visual representation of a of a pie chart with sort of the more specific kind of granular data that you get out of a bar graph. That's right. Yeah, hundred right? percent. So yeah. in, instead of the widths of the pieces representing, or like the Angles. area, the area of each of the wedges representing yeah. the size of that category. Yeah. It's actually the length of it that represents the size, but you do it in a circular fashion, right? Yeah. Now what she did is we, she put these, I'll call them polar area charts, even though the name didn't exist at the time. Mm -hmm. She was making these polar area charts about the number of men dying at the hospital per month while she was there, right? And you could see she would then color they were stacked as well. So not only did you have these wedges that were of different lengths coming out yep. radially, but they were stacked to show that the red bit towards the center were the soldiers that died from their wounds. Mm -hmm. Then there was this sort of um, black bit where they would die from accidents in the hospital or other things, right? Yeah. And then there was this really big blue bit on the outside, which is dying from avoidable secondary causes. causes. Avoidable, yeah. infectious yeah. causes in the hospital. And of course, this is what got sent back to... England and then they saw this and were like well let's get rid of that fucking blue bit right yeah. um, and which is my point that once you identify once you have a clear kind of stack in favor of all these you know avoidable causes the reporter the interpretation is essentially a fait accompli isn't it really I mean there's no way she looked at she did all this work put together these radial charts right yeah it had a huge huge spike for these affordable causes there's no chance that the same person who could have the foresight to put these together would look at that and scratch your head and be like well I'll send this off to a man to see if he can figure out what this means yeah 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 <laughs> like 
But at the same time, look, she saw the charts as well, right? She was making them. She, well, that's so what I'm saying. The question this, of what, to, how to reduce those deaths was really the nuts of this problem, right? I like, agree, but you... I don't think it's a kind of a long bow to pull to assume that she was had some inklings to what the solutions would be for these problems. Sure, right. I yeah. think that it, it sort of seems self-evident once you sort of kind of examine the, mm. the the outcomes as she did. Um, now, I saw some of these charts. They're beautiful They're charts. beautiful. They're like, lovely. They, they look like things that were done in the, uh, maybe the 1970s. Right. Hand-drawn, yep. but very precise. Um, very scientific looking, very accurate. Um, but I certainly mm. would belong, would be, you wouldn't blink an eye if you saw this in an old paper from the 70s, if not even the 80s, when things were still being done by hand. Um, so, for her to have done these 110 years before what I would assume would be when I would have otherwise seen these by a woman who was a nurse working by herself under her own sort mm. of steam, it's pretty incredible. It's wild. I think... I think I'd actually like one of those as a if I was to get a tattoo, that'd be a sick tattoo to have on a shoulder, right? Like you know, let it look great. Pure little nightingale. You're like, what's that? It's a nightingale yeah. distribution of dysentery in Crimea. <laughs> like, wow. That's heavy. <laughs> it's my flow tat. Um and so it's yeah, a, it's, so right. Would you say it's a coxcomb? Ooh, very good. So I think she rightfully Yeah is considered to be some... The mother of modern tattoos. Yeah, the mother of modern tattooage and charting. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's, it's quite a cool that's story. That's really... I think that's really impressive. Mm. Um, the other thing she did was that she proposed a uniform plan for hospital statistics. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, she, did, she didn't come up with this idea, but, but what she wrote in a couple of her books and stuff led to what is now called the... International Classification for Diseases, the ICD. Yeah. So she was like, well, we need a system between hospitals so we can communicate about what's happening in each hospital, right? Yeah. And so we need to define things and be a, have, have a way of like collecting the data between all hospitals, right? And the International Classification of Diseases is, is exactly that. For those who don't deal with public health or medicine or anything like that, it's basically at the moment... It's like one letter followed by a couple of numbers and some decimal point and some more numbers. And that is a code that represents internationally, the international version of this, it will be the same everywhere. That code represents a particular condition, which is very useful, right? Because now we have, um, you know, What's data sets. Standardized. Yeah. Yeah. And if I'm collecting data in my data set and you're collecting data in your data set and we put in M30.7, that's the same for both of us, right? So yeah. we can collect our, put our two data sets together and calculate all the M30.7s, which might be typhoid or whatever. What's funny is that in my mind, 150 years ago, having such a specific way of reducing that to sort of a decimal type, you know, um, tag seems way less important then than it does now with computers, right? Yeah. Coding is particularly useful for a computer to kind of sort things quickly, right? It has to all be listed the same way. Because it doesn't really have that fuzzy logic where it can identify you and me calling a pressure sore and a bed sore, even right, which would be the same thing, but we might be calling them different things, which means that they a computer would have a heart would lump them into two categories. That's so right. A computer needs to have a code, yeah, that code, right, that standardization. But 150 years ago, if a man or a woman is putting together a list between hospitals of all of the incidents of all these problems, 
they could cope just as well with you and me calling things like you need a slightly educated person to be well, doing that's it, the problem but it generally would be I don't know I think I disagree with what with what you're coming at well, with this, but I think I think that there's more I agree there's there's more, more leeway for sort of again for for this fuzzy logic with nomenclature than there is now so for her to do that then set us up for a very easy system for us to be able to standardize and kind of collate data from around the world now mm. um, and for us to have what you typically hear is that people having to do this again in the 80s or 90s where they had to go back and troll through 100 and something years of data that was noted sort of inefficiently mm. um, so it's, so she's basically it's the founder inc- of computers and <laughs> yes. electronic music as well right by yeah. proxy yeah she was she was the seminal member of Kraftwerk. <laughs> yeah, well, she would have been Kraftwerk, right? founded by Florence Nightingale, eighteen seventy four. Yeah, so look, she she she, as I said from the top of the show, quite rightly has is in place as one of the most important people in terms of medicine and nursing ever. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's kind of got that um, that Newton vibe about her. Oh, social like. But you know, you're about Newton, and it's like he did this, and then he did this, and then he did this, and he was into this, and he kind of started calculus, and he described gravity, and he had these formulas for this. Like he kind of touched upon so many more things that you even know about. And then and it kind of spanned all the genres in a way, right? Mm. She had that sort of fairly prolific, just wouldn't stop, and was way ahead of her time in terms of her ability and, and sort of her or foresight. Mm. Um, and there are many people that you come across in history who are like that. And I think that she sounds like she's kind of in that pantheon, which I didn't expect at all. Mm. And the other interesting thing is that um, uh, there is an audio recording of Florence Nightingale. She died in 1910. Uh, sorry, 1910. Yeah. Um, but Thomas Edison recorded her voice when she was in her elderly years. And mm-hmm. so I'll put that at the end of the show. I'll see okay. if I can get a clip of that. So we'll end on uh, the Florence Nightingale. She says just two sentences, but... Can we consider her to be a guest? <laughs> we'll show? put a credit in the notes of the show. Could we have... Is there enough, is there enough audio there for us to piece together a conversation <laughs> with her? <laughs> one, one and a half sentences? Yeah. Like, if she says like no or yes once, we ask her all these closed questions. <laughs> I'm going to see if I can find... While Florence, you're talking. are you happy to be here? Yes. <laughs> Did you really do all those things in Crimea? Yes. yes. <laughs> Incredible. Well, horse's mouth, folks. I'm going to see if I can find the transcript of what she says in the um, in the audio because it's 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 quite like lovely because she is an 80 year old woman, right? And you hear this old elderly lady saying, "I'm Florence Nightingale," and you're like, "Wow, this is lovely." Do we have enough to run through on those programs to like deep fake her voice so we could actually have a proper full on conversation with her? Ooh, we can do that next week. That's pretty sweet, right? And I'll, I'll, whatever I, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure that it'll be you and Florence Nightingale talking to each other. Her <laughs> voice, interviewing my you. thoughts. Yeah, <laughs> very good. That's great. Okay, well, that's kind of it. that's kind of it for our inspection of yeah. Florence Nightingale. But again, way more interesting than I thought off the bat, and from someone myself who've spent six or seven, eight years. Being a biostatistician, you never knew that she was. Well, I never investigated because yeah. it's was so. But it wasn't so far part of the narrative. No, no, not at all. Can we closing thought? Mm-hmm. Can we call her the first transformer in that she's more than meets the eye? That's true. Um, I f- and also, as we heard, a robot in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, go for it, man. 
she was I can see a t-shirt cement, she was a cement truck and <laughs> <laughs> I can definitely see the t-shirt the, the Shea Guevara silhouette then with the robots in disguise written underneath it <laughs> that's gonna confuse fucking everybody <laughs> you know what I think that if we start doing like merch one of them would be a Florence Nightingale with a bray sort of a high contrast silhouette that said more than meets the eye and that would be just that'd be like just for people in the know, right? That's just yeah. for, for major For people that went deep on the Florence episode. Yeah, for J I heads, right? Yeah. And they'd see <laughs> each other, they'd be like Love it. All right, look, if you've got any comments, questions, correspondence. Yep. Um, gifts. Write them on a piece of paper we and take gifts. throw them in the bin because we have no way of collecting that. No, <laughs> no. If, email us at Jeremy's Iron Podcast at gmail.com. We yep. don't do the social media stuff. Because that's not our vibe. But we're not very good at it. No. 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 We're more about when we get when we get rich, we'll hire someone to do it all for us, and they'll be like, "Dude, you've you really could have got on this earlier and helped us out. We're starting fresh. Are you kidding me?" Yeah. Tabula rasa. <laughs> all right, guys. Um, catch you next week or so. When we'll be talking about. You're on the spot. <laughs> oh shit. Uh, shit. I guess it is. We'll be incorporating manure into our. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah. We'll be looking for a uh, a topical article mm. about maybe fecal transplants. I like it. Yep. Yeah. Good. All right, guys. Adios. As Florence Nightingale helped London to die the project 1890. When I am no longer even a memory, just and day, I hope my voice may potentially the great work of my life. God bless my dear old comrade of solid lava and Green Bay, to draw. Love,